The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the lines and available odds, of course, at the DraftKings Sportsbook app. North Carolina listeners, don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in your state. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Welcome to another edition of the Valentine's Views podcast, Giants fans. A week ago, we had Matt Waldman of the Rookie Scouting Portfolio on with us, and we spent uh, an hour or so talking quarterbacks. But that is not all that Matt does. Matt discusses, uh, Matt is, is knowledgeable about all of the various skill positions. So today, we have Matt joining us once again, and what we're going to do is go through the uh, the receiver positions as they relate to the Giants. Matt's on the line right now. How you doing today, Matt? Thanks for joining us again. Hey, thanks for having me back. I had a good time talking with you about quarterbacks, and this should be just as fun. Well, yeah, you know, I got to give you a hard time, though, because since the last time we talked, I saw that you did Patty Trainer's podcast. I saw ah. that you did Big Blue Kickoff Live with John Schmelk. You know, come on. Hey, man, I, I, I'm telling you, I'm a... I'm a mercenary. What can I tell you? Oh, it just it just just tells you that that you're a popular guy and that people value your opinion, you know, as we do here. So uh, that's good stuff. Hey, man, I'm just I'm glad that people want me back. But you know, Patty and I used to do our used to do a show together, you know, back in the day, and uh, I I always I always give her a hard time about stealing my guests. <laughs> Well, you know, she certainly she does fine work as well, you know, and and it was kind of funny because when I when I heard you talking about that earlier, that she 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 contacted me, and then I got the contact from Fiegels and Schmelk. That was pretty funny too. So I thought, yeah, it's going to give me a hard time coming back on this show, but whatever, it's worth it. Of of course I am, you know. But uh, yeah. hey, it's it's all it's all in fun, and uh, you know, it's all. People love talking about the Giants, and uh, so let's let's do some of that, Matt. And let's start with this: the uh, the news that broke yesterday was the Giants, you know, signing Sterling Shepard to a, a pretty long, I think, four year extension, supposed to be in the neighborhood of forty one million dollars. Uh, just you know, from your perspective, a quick thought on on the kind of player Sterling Shepard is, and, and the uh, the extension that he got from the Giants. 
I think it shows that they're looking for someone that they want to build this receiving core around, and they feel like he's the type of worker, the type of route runner, um, the consistency factor in his game is good enough that you want to lock him up for a while. And I get that. He's a he's a player that you know reminds me a little bit of a former Giant that I really loved in this in when he came out in the draft, and that was during the time of the Matt Leinart area, which was Steve Smith. Um, I was a big fan of the Giants, you know, Steve Smith, and before he got hurt because he could do a little bit of everything. He could stretch the field for you with his tremendous quickness. Um, he was a clutch player. He was a terrific route runner. You could play him a little bit in, a little bit outside as well as inside. And I think that Shepard is a player that I think they hope can develop to where he has that kind of Steve Smith upside. And I think that he's already, even if he doesn't reach that point, he's already a reliable guy that you can lock into place and know that you're going to get someone who can make the correct route adjustments, be there for his quarterback, create a good target for his man, and, and be able to help them move the chains as well as occasionally make some big plays. It's funny you mentioned Steve Smith. I always liked Smith, but toward the uh... – Maybe it was after he started to to suffer some injuries. I always think of him as catch and fall down, Steve Smith. Yeah, you know, guy yeah. that catch get make the catch and get down, no yards after catch, nothing. <laughs> yeah, and that was that was it after the injuries. That pretty much did it for him. And I think before that, you had he was a guy who made Matt Leinart look a lot better than maybe Leinart was. Um, so it was a it, it's just one of those things. Sometimes it's a shame, but. Um, career lifespans are short in the NFL, and injury is a huge factor for that. What is your take? You know, obviously the Giants signed Golden Tate, and I think we've talked about this a little bit. What is your take on the concern that some people have that that Tate and Shepard are guys that that have similar skill sets, and and that it might be hard, you know, for them to play together? I think that I think it's. There's some validity to that if the offense doesn't show the imagination it should. But there are some differences here that are enough to to kind of give them separate roles. For Tate, Tate can be more of a flanker in the sense where he's tough after the catch. He's a physical player. He's I think he's a little better than Shepard at winning the ball at the catch point, and he has the speed to get deep. and And we saw that with him in Seattle when he had the connection he had with Russell Wilson. Um, you know, in Detroit, the, the more recent exposures people had of him, they think of him as a slot receiver, and they forget about the fact that he was an outside presence who could win the ball in the air, who could get deep, in addition to the fact that he runs like a, you know, like a scat back with a little power after the catch. So this is a physical player, and you get, you know, Shepard's kind of a craftsman, you get a real physical presence who can block, who can you know, who can also be a presence after the catch in a way that can stretch the field horizontally for the for the Giants because of the presence of Saquon Barkley. You can split them out on opposite sides, and you get you got players that um, defensive backs and linebackers have to be equally concerned about when they have the ball in space. The other thing I guess that that I think about is the fact that you have. You know, offenses aren't static. These guys don't line up in the same spot, you know, every single time. I mean, unless you're you're running the Mike McCarthy, you know, offense 95 <laughs> 95% of the time in 11 personnel, which Giants fans are familiar with thanks to Ben McAdoo. 
you know, guys move around. So, yeah. you know, I think there's there's that benefit, too. These guys aren't always going to be in the same place, the same alignments. Absolutely, because they're looking for matchup advantages, and you're going to see certain things where maybe teams will look at Shepard and Golden Tate, and, and you'll see defenders kind of look at them as the same kind of role in a certain situation and realize that they've kind of gotten um, kind of um, outfoxed there and, and put into a in a situation where Tate might have a little bit more of an advantage with certain types of routes or a certain type of look. Um, and that can lead to some mistakes in terms of uh, opportunities to create pre-snap um, mismatches or lead defenders into a false sense of security that there may be, they may be running, you know, blocking on this play as opposed to going out for a route. So there's, there's a lot of little things you can do. And I do think they're different enough players that it's, that people are just kind of looking at what happened lately with Tate in Detroit, as opposed to what he was in Seattle. Well, it'll be interesting to see what happens once the giants, you know, get uh, into the lab and get all these guys on the field and see what they can create. But I think we know, you know, heading into the draft here in a couple of weeks that the giants, I wouldn't consider them to have a complete you know, receiving core by any stretch of the imagination. So I would suspect, I mean, at some point in this draft, you know, that they have to dip into the receiver pool. So let's do that right now. And what I really want to do, we're kind of going to go through sort of where the Giants pick and the players who might be value at at the different spots in the draft. And to be honest, I mean, looking at Tate, looking at Shepard, looking at Corey Coleman, who they brought back, I mean, the, the one thing that the Giants don't have is that bigger-bodied guy, that outside guy, you know, un, unless you want to make Evan Ingram into that guy. So we're kind of gonna, I'm kind of going to ask you to, as we think about it, to lean toward talking about about those guys that are a little different type of player than what the Giants have now. Yeah, that sounds great. And I think before we do that, let's just think about that for a second. And two, like two little caveats I'd like to mention before we really delve into this. One is that it is quite possible that they decide that they want to make Evan Ingram a guy that plays more on the outside and be more of a receiver. And then they draft a tight end, and there's plenty of great tight ends in this class to where you can get a complete tight end who's a better blocker than Ingram, who might be a, a better interior receiver than Ingram, and then you could put Ingram on the outside and let him win with his size and his speed and leaping ability. And the other caveat is this, is that if if you talk to anybody in the scouting community um, who's, who's, who's worked in that community, you learn pretty well that, that there is more variation in grades for, for receivers among teams or between teams than any position that they look at in the NFL. And a lot of that has to do with, like you were alluding to, the type of position, the type of role that you're looking at, whether it's a slot receiver, a split end, or a flanker, or if you're looking at players who can maybe be a combination of two to three of those roles. And that can filter your pool in a way where you may, one team may have a second round grade on a player. And three other teams may have a sixth round grade on that player. Um, so as we go through this, you know, you'll want to keep that in mind because most likely, you know, I'm going to name some players and we're going to talk about them in the second, third or fourth round. And some of them may go much higher or much lower. 
Interesting. But, you know, at least it goes back to the fact that uh, there is no such thing as a hard and fast rule of, you know, who the best player available is because two different sets of eyes, two different teams, you know, even different scouts within certain teams will always see players in a different way. And it depends largely on on what they feel like they need, what their scheme is, and what players they're teaming that those guys with. Right. So where I want to start is at number six. Now, interestingly, we were we were kidding about Pat Trena in, in Locked on Giants the other day. And, and, and full disclosure here, I actually did Patty's show earlier this week myself. You know, see, see, look at you. See, see, there it is. Well, you know, I, I, I used to co-host over there, so once in a while I drop by, you know, just, just so folks remember me. But it's funny because she asked me what I thought if there was one sort of outside-the-box move that nobody had really thought about that would kind of turn the Giants draft on its head she asked me, you know, what that move would be. And I need to start at number six. I keep hearing that the Giants are doing an awful lot of work on TJ Hawkinson. And and I think there's no wide receiver that I can think of that, that would have value at six. But I, I can't necessarily see the Giants doing this at six with all of their other needs. But I keep thinking, you know, if they wanted to turn the draft on their heads, Hawkinson might be a guy to look at at six. Oh, and I think it's a, definitely something that you have to look into because he is that good of a player. He can start right away for a team because he is that good of a blocker. He, you can use him on the wing. You can use him in line against defensive ends and outside linebackers. You can use him as a fullback. You can split him in the slot or outside. And he can do it all. He's got the size already to anchor and hold up. He's a good puncher. He understands how to get come off the line with his back low and his pads low. He can turn very quickly, turn defenders quickly. He's a good lead blocker. So you get someone who's already a better blocker based on what we saw last season than Evan Ingram. And you get a player who also can work the scene downfield and win contested plays and run after the catch. So if you wanted to say, listen, we have our receiving core. We're just going to put Ingram, you know, at split end or put him at flanker. And we're going to put the other guys where, you know, where they need to be. And we can rotate Coleman in and we can use Latimer in certain leverage situations if he continues to show up. And if that's the case, then you, you end up consolidating your position. And part of that is, is that you can use Evan Ingram as the second tight end. He doesn't have to be... Um, on the front side of blocking schemes, so he can, and he can be the guy who can sneak out of the backfield or sneak out off the line and use him on that level. Or you can be more multiple in your looks, so you have two tight ends and you split one out pre-snap, you know, and motion them to the receiving part so that you can take advantage of what the coverage shows you. And now you're looking at a Rob Gronkowski, Aaron Hernandez type of um, situation in terms of how these players could be used in the way that the Patriots did years ago. And that I can see why they're studying that, because when you can have multiple tight ends, that creates a lot of issues. The Colts did a lot of great work with that last year, where they even ran things like 
three verticals or four verticals using three and four tight ends and looking like they were going to, you know, they were going to run the football and just, you know, compress the box and play, you know, short, you know, short yardage football. And then the next thing you know, three of those tight ends are running verticals off out of the formation and they're getting big plays out of that. And you could see how the Giants decide, listen, we've got Saquon Barkley. We want to look like we're going to be a physical, powerful team, but we also want to be multiple enough that we can spread the field. And as soon as the, as soon as the um, defense decides that they're going to use certain personnel and take advantage of them for that. So I love the idea. It's a very creative one. We'll see if they take it seriously enough to, to go that route. I have my doubts just because of all of the uh, – they've spent so much time talking about how much they need to upgrade their defense, you know, how much they, they really could use a, a right tackle. And, of course, you know, the, the quarterback discussion, which I don't think they're going to go quarterback at six, but it, it, it's an intriguing idea. I just – I think I would be – I would be shocked if they pulled the trigger on it at six. Yeah, I agree, and I think if they went, really, they could probably go a round or two later, and there's some guys that they could still do that with, and guys like Dawson Knox of Old Miss is a very fine blocker who has that same versatility um, and can also catch the ball a lot better than people thinking he's a terrific athlete. He's just underrated because he wasn't used a lot as a receiver at Old Miss, but he could be a bargain version of that for Hawkinson. And there's a guy I really love at tight end by the name of Trevon Wesco from West Virginia, who's a former quarterback who, um, when he came, a former high school quarterback, but he's he was literally praised as part of the offensive line for West Virginia last year in terms of how well he blocked. He's about 270 pounds, unbelievably quick, really fluid hips, can run those type of whip routes that you see slot receivers run. He doesn't have great speed, but he's very good after the catch. And suddenly you have a guy who played a lot of fullback and H-back and also inline work in, in Trevon Wesco, and that could accomplish the same thing. You could get him maybe on day two or maybe even day three. Nice. We'll get more into the into the the uh, the day three, you know, type players as we get along here. But let's go to seventeen, where I think it might be more likely that the Giants. I still think they're going to lean toward quarterback or or adding to their defense here. But if they wanted to add to the receiving core, I think. Hawkinson, you know, but the way I the way I understand it, the way you know, from what I've been told, I don't think Hawkinson's going to be a choice at seventeen. I think he's he's probably going to be off the board by then. But I think maybe we start to get into a couple of the bigger bodied wide receivers that might be available. Guys that you think might be available at seventeen who who would be value, you know, guys who could get picked in that range. There are a lot of guys because there's even talk that maybe teams are starting to figure out that maybe we should wait on receiver unless we're absolutely sold at the guys like the next Calvin Johnson. Now, I think there are a number of guys in this class who are good enough to be franchise caliber receivers, but it doesn't seem like there's a consensus about that. Um, but as a result, if there are if these guys are on the board, I think. Hakeem Butler would be an amazing pick for the Giants if he somehow slips that far, and he probably will. 
Um, he's 6'5", 227. He runs those whip routes at 6'5", 227. Watch him against Iowa last year, and you'll see him beat a cornerback on a whip route, you know, working inside, back to the outside, where he has to drop his weight, and flip his hips in succession, and beat the man so badly that he had to be tackled so that the so that he didn't catch the target um, beforehand and, they, and basically committed interference on it. You don't see receivers that big run that unless their name is Calvin Johnson. That's I mean that's how good of a how fluid he is. Now he has some issues with drops, and so people often say we don't want a receiver who drops the ball. But you have to understand that the way the NFL, if you're really studying receivers well, you contextualize what those drops are. And there's three types of drops that are common with receivers. There's the focus drops, which are just basically the equivalent of, say, you're teaching your, your daughter how to drive, and you get to the stop sign, and and she's, like, listening to the radio or telling you something and turns and doesn't see you go, hey, there's a stop sign, and she has to stop real quickly. You know, and maybe she ran through the stop sign a little bit there. It's one of those things that's just more of attention to focus. He, he used the correct technique. He knows what to do. Um but he's, he's too focused on maybe the next task or a task that, that, you know, looking at the defender who's coming or trying to tuck the ball and run. That's mostly Hakeem Butler's issue. Um, you know, but people often make it out to be a ser- more serious issue. But those serious issues are technique-driven, you know, not using the hands in the correct um, position based on the location of the target. And to me, that's more like, you know, if you're using the driving analogy, it's kind of where – you you're going to hit the gas pedal instead of the brake pedal because you you just got distracted as a beginner driver and that can be dangerous obviously but you can go back to the parking lot with the with the student driver and kind of say here we're going to go five miles an hour until you figure out how to hit the brake and the gas you know at the right moment and not get distracted there um, and then the most dangerous one is where you you may know how to hit the the brake pedal but you don't know how much pressure to put on it consistently. And you keep rolling into the intersection with the gas truck bearing down from the opposite side. And those are people who don't track the football well. They just don't understand how to really track where it should arrive and where they should reach for it. Guys like Sammy Coates had that issue. Um, Troy Williamson had that issue. Jake Reed back in the day had that issue. And that always plagued their game. And so people sometimes conflate drops with that. And Hakeem Butler is a guy that I think is probably the I think he's the best receiver in this class, um, and I think he's the most versatile. And if they want to be multiple and use that versatility, he's the guy. Miles Boykin, though, he's the real combine wonder. I mean, this is a guy with slot receiver metrics: four point zero seven twenty shuttle, six seven seven three cone drill, forty three and a half inch vertical leap, and he's two hundred twenty pounds and six four. And he doesn't have those hands issues at all. He tracks the ball extremely well. He's good after the catch. He's strong. He runs terrific routes. He breaks back to the ball extremely well. Um, so you can rely on him in a variety of ways. And he wasn't talked about a lot because he didn't have a great quarterback. And people wondered if he was truly that fast or not. Um, but you can see it on tape, and it matches up with what you see. And then then another guy who can be multiple is A.J. Brown, who's certainly you know more of a slot player. And I don't think the Giants will go after him, but he can win at the catch point. And you could probably put him at flanker because he's very good after the catch. But I think they need more of a split end. And then that guy means that if you're going to look for a split end in this class, DK Metcalf's that guy. DK Metcalf, you know, he doesn't have great bend with the way he drops um, his weight in his routes, in and out of his breaks. Um, and I worry that 
tighter coverage will um, exacerbate that issue where now defensive backs in the SEC and all over college are just scared out of their minds about getting beat deep by him. So they give him a lot of cushion. But the same thing goes with him is I think he's so physical. It, the way he uses his hands, he's so violent with his hands that he can create runways just doing that. And, and then he gets up to that 4-3 speed that he has, and he's tough to tackle, and he can win the ball well at the catch point. He has occasional technique issues with his catching, and he also drops passes. But, again, the technique is fixable. It's just a matter of understanding when he needs to put his hands up high for certain types of throws as opposed to using a lower hands technique. So he's a little more, he's a little less refined than Butler, Boykin, and Brown. Um, but his physicality and how you would use him as a split end, if that's all you want to use him for, it's like going to the hardware store and saying you want a hammer and you're not going to get all caught up in whether or not the hammer can turn into a wrench. He's a hammer and he's a guy that's going to get downfield and just hammer the deep the deep zones of a, of a defense. So the one name that you mentioned that surprised me a little bit as we were talking about that particular point in the draft was uh, was Miles Boykin. Um, do you really think that he would be in the conversation that early in the draft, or or is he a guy that, that would come a little bit later on? I think he's probably going to end up in the second round. He shouldn't be, but I'm just looking at how I grade guys, so – to me, he's that good. He he should be in the conversation as one of the top three to four receivers in this class. Um, but most likely, he will probably fall to the second round in this in this class, and it'll be a kind of a quiet thing. And we got to remember that, you know, past examples we often talk about players and who we think are going to be first or second round guys. And in the past, we didn't think Paul Richardson would be a second round guy for the Seahawks. We didn't think Dante Pettis would be a second-round guy for the 49ers last year. Um, so I'm kind of open to that because um, Pettis was my first-ranked guy last year on the board, just ahead of Ridley and DJ Moore. Um, and down the stretch, you could see that Pettis started to flash some of those skills once he got healthy. So, yeah, I don't know if Boykin will be someone that they may count on and say, we can probably get him maybe in the second round. And if they do, that'll be quite a bargain. And as you said, you know, at the top, when we started to discuss this, teams have such a wide variety of of grades and and opinions on wide receivers that, uh, you know, that you never know, you know, how some of these guys are going to fall. You know, so the Giants have the they have the pick at 37 and, you know, and you talked about Boykin, you mentioned Dawson Knox. I don't. I don't know if Dawson Knox is a is a tight end who would be in consideration that early. Just you know, off of your grades, you know, who might some of the guys that that they could be looking at, you know, at, at thirty seven B. Maybe a couple guys we haven't talked about yet. Certainly, you know, as another tight end, Irv Smith is kind of a Delaney Walker type and. I would say if you can feel he's a good blocker. He's not quite as big as Hawkinson, but he holds up very well technique-wise. And he is I think he's the best receiver after the catch, even though he's not the quote-unquote most athletic. But he's the most polished tight end in this class. And, you know, comes from great bloodlines from Irv Smith Sr., who played for the New Orleans Saints and the 49ers for quite a long career. And he is a good tight end who can be split outside and be versatile and could give you that Delaney Walker type of player. But in addition, in terms of other wide receiver talents, 
Nikhil Harry might be there, you know, and a lot of people see him as a big slot receiver, and I think that may be the case. But he's also a guy who, you know, can win one-on-one in the deep game with his physicality. Um, And he's also a guy that you can move around. So if you're looking for multiplicity in terms of multiple looks, in terms of how your receivers can move around at different positions, Harry can also play two to three different roles on a team. So he would fit in well in that regard. Um, And I think that those, you know, those two guys probably make the most sense at 37. You might see if a team, I would say this is doubtful based on how he performed at the combine, but if a team is just really in love with Kelvin Harmon's tape and they feel like we love his physicality, we like how he can run double moves, we feel like he can be a possession plus kind of split end for us, an Allen Robinson type, but maybe not quite as fast or dynamic, Kelvin, Kelvin Harmon is a, is a guy who wins really well at the catch point, and they may see that. Another one might be, and it may seem like an odd pick, but it's Paris Campbell. And the reason it's going to seem odd to everybody on here is going to be pretty obvious. They see him as more of a slot receiver. There's a lot of talk in mainstream draft media that he can't get deep or that he wasn't used a lot as a deep player. And he's only six feet two oh five. But we got to remember that Paris Campbell is a hyper elite athlete. I mean, this is a guy with, you know, four, three speed, extreme quickness, great explosiveness and leg strength. He's an excellent blocker. And he just wasn't used much as a receiver. One of the flaws Dwayne Haskins had that we talked about in the last episode is, is sometimes he missed some of the opportunities to throw the ball deep um, where he had open receivers in terms of the leverage pre-snap, and it was usually centered around Paris Campbell in the slot. But Paris Campbell can get deep. He actually knows how to make the good drive step, the one long step into the hard break, which is the hardest thing about route running uh, for the more difficult timing routes. So he may be inexperienced, but he's not raw. He has a good, solid base of fundamentals as a pass catcher, as a route runner, and he's someone very good after the catch. And I could see how you know, maybe they decide that they they like his athletic ability and they want to get creative with that. I don't think that's the best call. I don't think it's going to happen, but I'm trying to think of guys in that range, in addition to maybe Debo Samuel, who would also kind of fit in that range. But he's kind of, I think Debo Samuel can be a little bit more of a, a Jimmy Smith type of player, the old Jaguars receiver, or a Sterling Sharp type of player, where he can be a little more physical than you would expect, but he's extremely quick and fast and win after the catch. And he's a guy that I've always joked around is that he can kill you with the single death blow with the, you know, the deep <laughs> shot or a thousand paper cuts running through and beating people in the way that Odell Beckham Jr. did, you know, back at, you know, when he was um, starring in, in New York. So Sam and Samuel can also give you that special teams ability. Um, so those are some guys that might fit in that range. Um, it's a wide range of possibilities. And, and we'll go from there. Support for this show comes from Atlassian. Atlassian software like Jira, Confluence and Loom help power global collaboration for all teams so they can accomplish everything that's impossible alone. Because individually, we're great, but together, we're so much better. That's why millions of teams around the world, including 75% of the Fortune 500, 
Trust Atlassian Software for everything from space exploration and green energy to delivering pizzas and podcasts. Whether you're a team of two, 200 or 2 million, or whether your team is around the corner or on another continent altogether, Atlassian Software is built to help keep you all on the same page from start to finish. That way, every one of your teams, from engineering and IT to marketing, HR and legal, can stay connected and move together as one towards shared company-wide goals. Learn how to unleash the potential of your team at Atlassian.com. That's A-T-L-A-S-S-I-A-N.com. Atlassian. Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. You know, it's it's interesting because it just seems like, you know, and it seems like as I look at this class, um, if the Giants want you know, to upgrade at wide receiver. It just seems like somewhere along the way there's going to be value because it just seems like there's a there's a a, a fair amount of depth, a fair amount of variety and types of, of players, you know, pretty much all the way through this class. Yes. And you know, the guy who might creep up into that second round because he had a good pro day was JJ Arcega Whiteside, who's six two, two twenty five, known as a box out receiver who wins in the red zone, but also has shown some pretty good route running skills. Um, I'm a little concerned about his hands. I think that he catches the ball well in terms of catch rate, but like Cortland Sutton, a guy I was a little concerned about this way too, and it it played out in Denver um, early on, is that he doesn't have the greatest technique and he fights the ball a little bit. Um, But I agree with you. I think there are a number of players in this class who in the in the you know second late second day early th- early third or late third, who really have an opportunity to evolve into starters, and and I'm looking forward to us talking about some of them too. All right, so let's let's frame the next part of this a little bit differently. I'm going to ask you to kind of put your your GM hat on here for a second. When we look at the Giants on their current draft board. They go from 37, which is early in the second round, to 95, which I think is the last pick of the third round, last or second to last pick of the third round. So there's a huge gap in there. But they have eight day three selections. And one of the things that I expect is I expect them to, whether it's late second, early third, whether it's you know fourth round picks, I would expect them to use some of those day three picks to to move up and and target you know a guy. Let's let's suppose that they've they've gone through, they've picked up a bunch of defensive guys, they picked up an offensive tackle, whatever. Maybe they picked up their quarterback. They haven't touched receiver or tight end yet, and you're sitting there early in the third round. 
Is there a guy that you can see? Maybe it's one of the guys that we've already talked about. Maybe it's a guy that 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 we haven't mentioned yet. Say early early third round, where you would bang the table and say, if we've got to give up a couple of assets, let's go get this this guy. You know, because he can come in and start for us and help our offense right away. Yeah, and I think we'll start with we'll start with guys who might drop. You know, if a Miles Boykin or a Hakeem Butler drop, then I would be throwing the table up against the wall if they weren't listening and get fired probably um, <laughs> it, it, um, that, at that point. Um, I also think, you know, if a Nikhil Harry dropped, it would be interesting to consider consider that. Um, but at tight end, I'd probably be banging the table for someone like Dawson Knox. If Dawson Knox is still there in the early third round, it's time to consider him seriously as that asset. If you believe that Evan Ingram can be that guy, or if you know that your draft board has value below that, because I think there are receivers um, in the who are going to be available in the fourth or or fifth round who you're really going to be able to get and get some value out of. But the if there's a receiver we haven't talked about that, if I was really if if I look at his pro day and I look at what he has to offer and I'm pretty intrigued by him, I think he has some drops occasionally, but I like what I've seen of him and he's proven an awful lot. I might, me personally, I'd probably say I wouldn't bang the table for him here, but I could see how a team might. And that's Jalen Hurd. Jalen Hurd out of Baylor is a former five-star running back around the time where he was the starter ahead of Alvin Kamara and ahead of John Kelly at Tennessee. And he was around the same range that, you know, he was he was con- in playing around the same time that Derrick Henry was playing. He's six, he was 6'5", 240. Kind of sloppy feet, but powerful. Could catch the ball extremely well. Um, showed some speed and burst. But he didn't really want to be a running back. He wanted to be a receiver. Tennessee didn't really want him to be a receiver. He ended up getting hurt. He ended up deciding to um, move on and transfer to Baylor to be a receiver. There was a big kind of divorce fallout in the media between this. And Tennessee's coaching staff, let's be honest, um, they've been kind of a they they've been kind of a magnet for trouble, you know, during that time. They weren't that there was a lot of bad stuff going on about that whole program. Um, so but Hurd got the brunt of it like he was the bad guy. But all I know is that Hurd shut up, went to Baylor, put his head down. And became a guy that when you look at him on tape, you're like, this guy looks like he's been playing wide receiver since high school. And, uh, he runs good routes. You can see him do the technically sound things that I've talked about with, um, you know, a guy like Miles Boykin. He can get a little bit better with not gathering his steps into hard breaks. But that's a thing that a lot of young receivers have to learn. Um, but he's got the size. He can break multiple tackles in the open field. He's a smart runner. He can catch the ball and go up and win it. He's used more often at Baylor in the slot, but he should transition to becoming a split end in the league. And again, you know, six, five with, you know, with that kind of quickness and good route running and showing the ability to manipulate coverage and find open zones. You could start him out in the slot and put Ingram outside. And so you kind of slowly feed him into the offense as a contributor um, and let him win where he, he's comfortable. And in a year or two, he could wind up being that split end for you. And what's even cooler about him is that because he had to work on his footwork so much as a route runner, 
Baylor still used him as a short yardage running back or occasional running back as a change of pace on like gap plays, you know, trap and power and toss. And he looked even better at Baylor as a runner, not production wise, but just purely from his footwork and decision making and quickness because he worked so hard on that. It actually helped his game as a running back. So you could see this big old guy come in and kind of be a change of pace to Saquon Barkley. And suddenly you're looking at two five-star, former five-star running backs, one of them you could occasionally use. And if, again, if you're trying to be multiple, you know, not only did you maybe have gotten a tight end or maybe you didn't yet, but you may have had that. You also have Hurd who can be a split end for you. He could be, you could even probably put him at wing back because he's big enough. And if you wanted to add weight and decide you wanted to make him maybe a, a tight end, I don't think they would do that. I think he's got too much potential as an outside receiver. But if they wanted to go that route, they might be able to do that with him too. Because remember, he did play at 240 at one time with Tennessee. And that was when he was a younger player. So this is a really intriguing prospect who I think that there might be a team or two that really likes him. You can see how scouts might be pounding the table. It's really interesting. All right, so now we have hit the the day three, you know, portion of the draft, and we've already mentioned we've mentioned a lot of names already. And I have to admit, one of the things, one of my favorite time wasting sort of activities is to is to go to the draft network or to go to fan speak and 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 you know and mess around with with the mock draft simulators at those two places. Oh yeah, that's great. You know, it's a it's it, and to be honest, early in the process, you know, I'm not a person who studies guys the way that the way that you do and the way that that a lot of these guys that a lot of guys do, you know, to the point where they know everything about everybody basically. But there's a point in the process where I'm actually using these simulators to to get to know some of the players especially the draft network is kind of cool because it lets you pick up the bios on the players as well as you research them but the my sort of long-winded point here is when i do these seven round mock draft simulations for the giants one of the things that makes me crazy as I do these is when I get to day three, when I get to date to round four to round five, even round six, I look at the board that I'm presented with and it's wide receiver, wide receiver, wide receiver, wide receiver, wide receiver. I can go down like 25 names and, and 19 or 20 of them are wide receiver. And I'm like, I don't want a wide receiver right now. (laughs) You know, I took one already, or I want to do that later. But the the point being, there's a lot of depth on day three. So what I really want you to do is kind of cherry pick a little bit and talk about some of your some of your favorite guys that could go later in the draft. Oh, absolutely. All right. So Jalen Hurd will probably be one of them. We already talked about him. A guy that um that probably could be liked by um, scouts is a guy by the name of Travis Fulgham out of Old Dominion. He's 6'2", 215 pounds. He's a rugged rebounder with some suddenness at the, you know, with this first step. He's kind of a potential possession plus receiver with 
some deepness, some deep game to him, but he's a little bit more of like a four, five, eight, forty guy. So he's not going to blow the top off of a, off of a defense. But he's a little bit more physical and rugged, kind of a Michael Crabtree aspiring type of player who who could be interesting there. If they want to go big slot and and they think the guys they have on the outside are good, um, and they feel like they want to roll that way. Little Jordan Humphrey out of Texas, who's also a former running back, 6'4", 210, has some of the best mitts in this class. And there are a lot of good guys in this class in terms of being able to make the catch. Kind of a Marcus Colston type of player who can run, but he can run after the catch in a way that Colston couldn't. You could probably even use him out of the backfield occasionally, but he makes excellent adjustments to the football. He's just not very fast. Um, You know, Tyree Brady is an interesting guy. Or Emmanuel Hall. We'll talk about two of them, and then I'm going to wrap up with a third guy after this. But Tyree Brady isn't very fast. He comes across at four seven four, and that I don't know if that's really indicative of his speed. I've seen him get through past guys in ways that seems a lot better than he has. Really, he must have really good quickness. He didn't. We didn't get a chance to see that on um, in the metrics in terms of his his workouts. But he's very quick off the line. He runs good routes. He has an incredible concentration at the catch point, makes some really difficult catches, but he, he's kind of in that realm of like if A.J. Green was the top model on the board, you know, like he's the luxury model of this type of receiver and say Josh Reynolds of the Los Angeles Rams is kind of like the mid-range model, you know, Tyree Brady's kind of like the compact model at the rental car place, but you might be able to you might be able to um, upgrade it enough that it could do a lot of good work for you. If you're looking for a classic split end who's just graceful, can become a really good deep ball specialist and maybe expand his game and become um, something more, Emmanuel Hall of Missouri is a really graceful guy with 4.39 speed, kind of in that Justin Hunter mode, though, because once he drops the ball, he starts to drop more and drop more, and he loses co- concentration. And I think he has to continue to work hard to focus his game. A guy who will probably fall to day three because of an off-field situation is Preston Williams. And we talked about the A.J. Green model. If A.J. Green's the all-pro model um, in terms of ability, Preston Williams could turn out to be the starter model for that, which is pretty darn good. Um, he's 6'4", 211. He's got four or five speed. He's he's quick enough. He has good good enough acceleration. He's terrific after the catch. He wins the ball well in the air. He could play flanker or split end. He 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 actually runs good routes. Um, and he's a guy at Colorado State who was a former five star prospect at Tennessee, same program where Jalen Hurd left. Um, and Williams has really, I think Williams is one of the better prospects in this class he's in my top 10 on my board um, but will probably drop because he had a domestic violence issue when or you know during his Tennessee career and you know obviously the NFL however you want to look at it if you want to look at it the cynical way and I'm more on the cynical side of things you look at and the NFL has more of an optics PR issue about this than they do about really caring about it Um, If you look, you know, on the level of like, you know, uh, in terms of how that goes. Now, I look at it this way. I think everyone cares about domestic violence and, you know, who has a good head on their shoulders. But at the same time, you know, without getting too deep into it, I just say that, um, you know, some businesses in America don't, you know, don't have don't have a policy on it at all. 
Some some basically would suspend people if there's a conviction. Some people would suspend based. Some companies would suspend based on an arrest. There's a lot of variety. So we tend to hold these, you know, hold the NFL to an even higher standard than what our own corporations do. Um, but with that said, you know, that sensitivity in, in terms of the public eye sometimes creates uh, a need to drop players just based on the, the term. And when you look at Preston Williams, what he did was wrong, very clearly. Let me point that out. But from what I read in the police report, it was basically he got an argument. He's a young kid, got an argument with his girlfriend. His girlfriend wanted to leave the apartment. And he blocked the doorway and tried to hold her from the doorway. Didn't hit her, didn't push her, didn't do any bodily harm to her. Now, I'm not saying that holding someone back from their, holding from their will, being threatening on that level is not wrong. It's definitely wrong. He definitely deserved to be arrested. He definitely deserved to be punished. Um, but it's, it's different than, say, there's a different degree of that than, say, Tyreek Hill um, strangling his pregnant um, girlfriend. You know, or D.D. Westbrook kicking or strangling his pregnant girlfriend. Um, you know, and these are very difficult subject matters. But, you know, if you want to have a more in-depth thought about this, I actually talked with a therapist who works with people who've, you know, who have been perpetrators in these issues um, uh, in domestic violence or assault in the past. And and I've had him give his takes on my RSP podcast um, you know, about this and how it relates to the NFL. But Williams has gone through counseling. His teammates said that he was a sketchy guy at Colorado State when he arrived. He's become a much different guy um, since that time. They've seen him grow up a lot. If there's a team that want, if the Giants feel like they want to take a chance on a guy like that, Preston Williams would be that guy that might be worthwhile in the fourth round. And I have one last guy I want to mention, and I have a feeling that this is the guy. I'll just say that I... I'm pretty sure from my sources that um, that the Giants are very interested in this guy. Um, and I'll just leave it at that. He is at Monmouth. Monmouth, I don't remember how to pronounce it. Monmouth University. And that's, um, that's um, Reggie White Jr. Reggie White Jr. is about the dimensions of Marvin Jones of um, the Detroit Lions. You know, he's about 6'2", a little over 200 pounds. He is extremely quick. He is fast enough. I mean, you look at his game, and let me see if I can pull up his information here because he is—he's an excellent young player. That okay? He's he runs a four-four-five forty, so he has the deep speed you're looking for. He has a four-point-zero-seven twenty shuttle, which is very good. You know, near elite caliber um, in that in that range. Six-seven-seven um, three-cone drill, and that is as good that's actually better than um that's as good as miles boykin who was the top guy in that area so he's quick he accelerates well he's fast enough to get deep on you and he wins the ball with grace winning the ball in tight coverage extremely well and i've heard scouts say that he's the best prospect to ever play at monmouth and that's includes miles austin who played there i think he can be that possession plus player who could either play flanker or split in and win contested catches, be a red zone threat, win after the catch. They'd like to see him be a little bit more physical and they'd like to see evidence of him step up and be that big play guy. But I think he's going to get drafted late and I would not be shocked at all if the Giants are looking at him. 
Look at you coming on the podcast and and, and breaking some Giants news. Look at that. <laughs> that will lace up my sleeve for a couple of weeks. So, and I and I can tell you, I can tell you that there's interest there. Uh, I I know for I I can't go into detail who and why, but I know that I know who was there, and I know what they were looking for, and I know that it was a very special case for them to be there. And um, you're and you're I talking about that, you're talking yeah. about like at at a local pro day. Um, yes. Mm-hmm. And and so I know that there were people there that that were very interested in him and that, you know, you wouldn't normally see some of those people there. And, and I'll just say that, you know, if the giants pick him, I would not be surprised at all if they can get their hands on him. Interesting stuff. As always, Matt, we always appreciate you uh, coming on and, and, and breaking these, uh, breaking these prospects down. And, you know, now, now you've set a new bar because now you're coming on here, breaking some news. (laughs) Hey, listen, Listen, I don't normally get this stuff and I don't and when I do, I don't norm, normally share it, but this is one where I can feel comfortable sharing this one just enough that that that's it. But I'm not normally the insider type of guy with that. I just break down prospects. I just happen to know this one. All right. Hey, why don't you uh, you know, we did this last week, but why don't you go ahead and uh and, and you know, let people know about your your website and your draft guide again before I let you go. Sure, you know you can find my draft guide at mountwaldman.com, and that, and you get there's a tour of my draft guide, the pre and post draft editions of that that you can look at from the past, um, and you can find my work at www.mountwaldmanrsp.com that provides links to my YouTube channel, the RSP Film Room, and uh, lots of different analysis from myself and Mark Schofield, um, as well as Scott Bischoff occasionally some work from him. And, um, and then in addition to that, I have a podcast and, uh, I found out my podcast broke the top 150 in, um, in sports and recreation recently. Um, and that was, and, and that's the RSP cast, um, Matt Waldman's RSP cast. So you can kind of find my work at those three ranges and you can find me at Twitter at Matt Waldman. All right. Thank you very much, Matt. And uh, we will, uh, you know, when, when when the Giants, you know, draft Reggie White Jr., we're going to have to give you a shout out and, uh, and uh, you know, make sure that, that the world knows that, that you had it first. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. Thanks. Thanks again, Thank Matt. You. We'll talk to you later. All right. All right, Giants fans, that's our show for today. We thank Matt Waldman for spending some time with us and educating us about wide receivers in the 2019 NFL Draft class. As always, we thank you guys for listening, for supporting the show, for supporting our work at BigBlueView.com. Remind you to please make sure that you subscribe to Big Blue View Radio on all of your favorite podcast applications. If you're not up to date on all of the uh, the content at, at BigBlueView.com, please check that out. Please join the community. We've got a stable of fantastic writers on the site. Uh, we've been joined most recently by Matt Williamson, formerly of ESPN and currently host of the Locked On NFL podcast. Also have quarterback guru Mark Schofield. 
longtime Giants beat writer Patricia Trena, who also hosts the Locked On Giants podcast. Chris Flum, Dan Pizzuta, and myself covering the Giants from as many angles as we possibly can, giving you all of the, the coverage that, that you need leading up to the draft. And uh, we hope that, that you're familiar with it. We hope that you enjoy it. All right, thank you, Giants fans, and we will talk to you again soon. Bye-bye.